morning, and welcome to Atheist Talk on KTNF NAM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Good morning to all of you joining us locally by radio and streaming online. We appreciate you tuning in. Today is Sunday, September 23rd, 2018, and I'm your host, Hertzie Hertz. I'm joined in studio with Joseph Homerick and special guest, the voice and brains of the thinking atheist, Seth Andrews. Seth Andrews was raised a Christian and a fan of contemporary Christian music. He was also a morning show on KXOJ from 1990 to 2000, where he host, well, yeah, hosted the morning show. In the late 90s, he started doubting his faith, which kept going in 2004 when he saw a debate that gave him the courage to leave. A few years later, he started an online community, The Thinking Atheist, where he also hosts the podcast by the same name, has four books to his name, Deconverted, Sacred Cows, Abraham's Excellent Adventures, and a brand new book that I saw simply because I had to Google, Ghost Stories, which looks like an audiobook. It is. It is an audiobook. Yeah, it's also now in my Kindle. Oh, you're very good. Well, I, I like your, I love your audio, the ghost stories you do every oh, year. Thank you very right. much. Well, this is an open conversation, and we welcome and encourage listener interaction below with your phone calls to 952 946-6205, your emails to radio at mnatheist.org. You can tweet us at Atheist Talk. And for today's segment, um, if you could hashtag Ask Seth, because I actually don't have access to the Twitter as well as some others do. Um, or you can do, a, there's a comment section on a Facebook post at, at our Facebook page, Atheist Talk. The phone is only available when we are live, but you can always email, tweet, or comment whether you're live or you're listening to this podcast. Joseph, Seth, good morning and welcome to Atheist Talk. Good to be here. Uh, the only one, cor- it's it's a mild correction. I didn't write oh. Abraham's Excellent Adventure. Um, oh. It was actually a story that I had read for the broadcast, which reenacted the story of Abraham and Isaac in a more contemporary setting. I'd love to take credit for it, <laughs> but uh, I, if I'm going to be completely transparent, I'm the author of three books, and then I just like to take credit for everybody else's work whenever possible. So, uh, uh, but no, I'm not the author of that one. So. All right. Well, I asked this question before, but I'm going to ask it on the air. So how long has it been since you've been on live radio? Well, let's see. Uh, you know, I, I left broadcasting uh, radio broadcasting in 2004, I had guest appeared on, believe it or not, back when I was still a believer. And I, I don't know if I believe that. <laughs> I, 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 I was asked to fill in for uh, the host who was on vacation at 1170 AM talk radio KBOO in Tulsa. And I was, you know, I was still kind of a, I was a political conservative. I was a, a religious person. So I'd go in and I'd fill in for the week. So it's, it's been an easy decade for me. Yeah. Nice. Well, welcome back to the live radio. Yeah, it brings back a lot of memories walking down Studio Row and seeing all the, you know, the apparatus, the tables, the mics, the banners, the posters, the placards, the tchotchkes. Uh, it reminds me of my old days back uh, back when we would every day walk in. Every day was it's just kind of a zero sum game, right? You broadcast, and then after the show is over, you get ready for the next day, and you're monitoring the second by second headlines, and you know it's it's a it's a, a stressful yet amazing career, you know. Oh, I bet. I just volunteer. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. That's yeah. stress enough. Um, so t- before we get into the questions and such, can you just tell us a little bit about the Thinking Atheist podcast and community? Yeah. Well, I always like to clarify for anybody who's curious, I am not the Thinking Atheist. The Thinking Atheist is an icon. Uh, it is, you know, I come out of a faith culture 
And so it was like fake it till you make it, believe it, and believing is as good as knowing. I just know in my heart. And so, you know, when I, that became less and less satisfying for me, I was sort of reaching out to try to be part of these conversations rooted in reality and the evidence. And so the thinking atheist was an, a reminder to me and everybody else, let's reject faith. Faith's a lousy way to figure out what's real. I mean, everybody who disagrees with each other about all these religious ideas, they're all operating on faith and they're all equally convinced. I mean, let's get down to the nitty gritty and let's let's find out, let's think. And so the uh, unofficial tagline for the thinking atheist is assume nothing Assume nothing, rather, question everything and start thinking. And uh, that was just a meager website launched in 2009. I was still sort of under the radar. No one saw my face. They only knew my first name. I was working in a job that largely served churches, terrified about my future, wondering what was going to happen to me. And so it was, I actually operated the website for two years and the radio show, uh, the podcast online, rather, for one. And no one saw me. No one had a face. They just saw the, the icon. And it was in 2011, I finally sort of let the cat out of the bag. And uh, the, the podcast has grown. The online community has grown. We've got about a quarter million on Facebook, about a quarter million on YouTube, and we're up to almost 50 million podcast downloads online. So it's been pretty amazing. I'm totally not jealous. Totally <laughs> not jealous. And it's the listeners and the participants who have made that possible. I mean, you know, I, I host the shows. I can flap my gums. But it's their support and goodwill that has made it possible. It's a humbling thing. And I, I promise to never take it for granted. It's huge for me. All right. Well, we do have a quick question from the Facebook. Um, a Jeff asks the question, have you had to use your fancy tornado bunker yet? <laughs> well, I mean, you're no stranger to inclement weather, uh, but nope. I'm I'm from Oklahoma, you know, and, and we have uh, two things in ubiquity in Oklahoma. We have tornadoes and churches, and uh, the tornadoes are actually easier to escape. And uh, so... I was actually coming home from a tour stop that I was doing in Little Rock, Arkansas years ago, and I had Natalie on the phone, and she and Hannah were in, like, the master bedroom closet. I, the sirens were going off, and they, there was I realized there was nowhere to go for them, the way the house was built. And so I decided right then, and we're going to put a shelter in, and they'd have these funky ones that you put in your garage. You just drive a car right over them. Uh, they, they, you can put comfortably eight people, uncomfortably, probably about 25 people in these things. And, um, and you don't even have to get the car out of the garage. You literally take a little ladder and you just get in them and close the door over you. And we ended up using that thing. I don't know how many times we must've been in there seven, eight times before we moved. And in the new house, I realized we had no protection from twisters and having sort of made that pact, I decided I, I never want to be unprepared when the sirens go off. And so I, we, uh, we put another one in. Now, what's funny is in Oklahoma, when the tornado sirens go off, you can always tell the natives because, you know, people from other parts, like the West Coast, they're freaking out, terrified. And we're out there like, charge up the camcorder, honey. I'm going to get great video of this. You know, we're just idiots <laughs> about it, you know. Oh, yeah. Oh, look, it's flying debris. Wee! It's a sport, you know. Oh, it's so. coming. So I grew up in Minnesota. And so the idea of not having a basement has always been a slight confusion for me because I'm like, if you have tornadoes, why not just build a base yeah. basement? Well, it became it, part of it was about the water table. And whenever you oh. dig more than a foot, you hit water. But the technology is, is improved so much. There's really no excuse to not have. I think every honestly, I, I think it should be mandatory that every home in, in that part of the country should have as a matter of public safety, a storm shelter. But I do come up here and everybody, you know, you've got this whole extra level of living and goodness that we 
I, I feel cheated that, it, that I don't, where's my basement? Like, no. We also have to deal with the ice and the cold. Like, like it's what, 60-ish degrees out right now. Oh, yeah? Yeah, this is a nice sunny day. <laughs> so my dad's from Minnesota, right? We used to vacation here every summer. Ah. And so in Oklahoma, half an inch of snow. Like half an inch of snow and the meteorologist's voice go up an octave and they're just like, I've heard legend tell me we've got to look at the storm system coming in, ice and snow, it's unbelievable. It's here. And, and everybody rushes to the store to buy provisions and the schools are talking about whether or not they're going to close. And my father's like, what's wrong with you people? Like, this is not snow. This is like, uh, this is white spit. This is nothing. This, this, this doesn't count. And uh, so it, it, it is a study in contrast, you know, to come up here where the, where the idea of eight-foot snowdrifts and snowmobiles and whatnot, you know, these harsh winters and schools probably hardly ever closing because you're prepared is a whole other deal. But it is beautiful country. I love the state of Minnesota. I do. Um, thank you. All right. Well, I guess we should at least start with the questions because we were going to talk about your, your time in the Christian radio station. Um, can you, so you did a morning show, correct? Yeah, well, I started, if I may, probably the best answer starts a little bit before that. Being raised in a fundamentalist Christian household, I was a fan of Christian music as a youth. I was that kid. What was your favorite band? Oh, um, probably Michael W. Smith inspired me the most. Um, he was the pianist for Amy Grant, who then started a solo career. You know, I, we first started with the classic stuff. We'd go to Tulsa Book and Supply, and we would buy on cassette the Imperials and David Meese and Amy Grant's Age to Age album and those things. And, and I had a near encyclopedic knowledge of Christian music. I, I was such a pain in the butt in school. I was so sanctimonious and so pious because, you know, we'd go to lunch in my car, and I'd make sure Christian music was playing because we're, we're playing music for Jesus, man. And all you guys are listening to all that evil pop radio. And I was just so sanctimonious about it, thinking, I'm going to show you guys. You're going to see how great this music is. And, of course, I was looking through God glasses at this culture. But, you know, for a guy who had good communication skills in school and kind of a naturally deep voice, it was a natural segue for me to end up in the business of Christian radio, started working overnights and sort of graduated up through the ranks. And, and before I knew it, I was a morning show host. And then there was a renaissance for the industry. Christian music really skyrocketed in the mid-90s. And so my career sort of skyrocketed with it. And we played Amy Grant, Stephen Curtis Chapman, Michael W. Smith, DeGarmo and Key. Um, you know, we, we, and, and this, this genre of music was the soundtrack of my life. And I took a lot of pride in it, and I, I was glad to see it succeed at the time. And, uh, you know, in 1995 or six, I want to say, uh, statistics had revealed it was the single fastest growing radio format in the United States, period. And uh, it was, and radio is very savvy. Christian radio largely was very savvy because what they did was, instead of saying, we're Jesus radio or, you know, radio for God. Radio stations would remove religious language from their positioning statements and make it about posit positivity and family. So we'd play Christian music, but the, the jocks on the air were instructed, we're not going to quote-unquote minister, we don't, we're not going to pray anymore, we're not going to do verses, it's going to be positivity. Uh, and that would attract people who didn't even realize at first they were listening to Christian radio. All right. Well, please stay with us through the break, and we'll return to Atheist Talk with Joseph and Seth. I'm Hertzie Hertz, and you're listening to AM 950 KTNF, the progressive voice of Minnesota. 
welcome back to AM 950 KTNF, the progressive voice of Minnesota. You're tuned in to Atheist Talk, and I'm your host, Hertzy Hertz, in studio talking with Joseph and our thoughtful guest, Seth Andrews. Atheist Talk is produced with the funding from Minnesota Atheist, Cucumbers Restaurant, and Edina. Please consider visiting our sponsors, and if you do, let them know you appreciate their support of Atheist Talk. If you'd like to advertise on the program and help keep us on the air, please contact us at radio at mnatheist.org. And with that, let's get back to our conversation. I want to say I feel a tremendous sense of pressure because in relation to me, you said brains, voice, and thoughtful. (laughs) And I'm literally feeling a tremendous sense of pressure, like I'm being oversold here. Yeah, Pressure. Keep expectations low, if you would, yeah. So, so I should say the confused, the confused thoughtless. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, the sort of uh, ambling and occasionally accidentally relevant Seth Andrews, I think. Can we at least keep the voice, though? Yeah, let's do okay. that. All right. All right. Joseph, I noticed that you have been scribbling furiously while I kind of dominated that first part. What have you got? Well, thank you, Hertzie. Seth, I noticed on the uh, Thinking Atheist website, there are a number of testimonials, video testimonials from people who have uh, escaped... Um, uh, difficult religious upbringings and and turn to the path of uh, evidence and reason. Could you tell me about that? When did it get started? How do you meet the people? Yeah, that, sure. By the way, I'm I'm glad to be not the only one on this show with a biblical name. Uh, Joseph, Joseph I heard yes. that. It's like ha- telling people that my first name is Seth. It's like walking into a room of atheists and saying, "Hi, I'm Hezekiah." So it's it's just kind of a relief, Joseph. Well. You know, I came into the movement back in, I mean, I the, the website beginning in 2009 and the broadcast shortly after that, I I was struck by the fact that we are a culture, or were more than we are, a, a culture of educators, but we didn't have a lot of storytellers. People w- need to, to tell and hear stories. We as human beings are suckers for a good story, and I mean that in the best sense of the word. We, we want to be taken on a journey. And so, I mean... If I sit back with a bunch of bullet points and say, Amy was part of an evangelical fundamentalist cult. Amy came to a point of reason. Amy began to ask questions. Amy left the cult. Have a nice day. I mean, you are your heart does not engage. You are you understand the bullet points, but you have no reason to take that story personally. But if pretty, I take Amy... I was going to say, I'm pretty sure my eyes glazed over while you were saying yeah, that. Yeah, well, that's what I do. And, and so if I sit Amy down on camera... Or I bring her on the radio and I say, tell me what it was like. Tell me about the things you were taught. Tell me about the, the, the confusion and the, and the oppression and tell me uh, you know, what they were teaching you. We're going to get into some of that during a speech I'm doing today where we talk about some of the things they teach to young children that just totally screw them up. And, and you know, what helped you extract yourself and what would you say to somebody else who was in that position? And, and to hear that personal story, it just brings it to life. And uh, I, I became convinced that we need stories. And so I started to produce audio and video versions of the stories. They're people I would meet at conventions. They are people who would email me to say, I escaped a cult and, or a, a, a fundamental, I escaped Catholicism, for Pete's sake, cult. And, um, and I, you know, this happened. And if I feel it's relevant and other people can relate to it, you know, I'll often say, let's, let's chat, man. Let's, let's talk about these things. I noticed uh, an entry on the website where you talk about an uncomfortable communication with your mother. If, uh, if you don't mind, would you uh, relate that story? Because you commented on the fact that it contains the language of abusive relationships. There's the combination of love mixed with anger, mixed with threats. And I must confess, I never really thought of that before. 
Um, yeah, this is rooted in um, think about the faith as a whole first. If we look at how Jesus relates to the church, which is the bride of Christ, the believers are the bride of Christ. The narrative after you get through all the love speak is you are born broken, you don't deserve goodness, you're a dirty sinner, you deserve hell. The only thing good that you have is because of me. The only, there's no path to heaven, there's no path to salvation except by me. And so what you have is a, a series of believers who are like, oh, you know, when bad things happen, it's because God knows what's best for me and he's trying to make me better. And when uh, some, you know, there's a, a natural disaster or a baby dies of cancer or something else happens, it's because we're a fallen world and it's our fault and we screwed things up and blah, blah, blah. And what you have is, you know, I can never leave him. He's the smart when he does all the thinking. This is the language of an abused person, of someone in a domestic partnership where they are abused. And the bride of Christ I see as an abused spouse because what they do is, is they say, I'm not worthy. I'm broken. I'm sinful. I deserve hell. I let some, I defer completely. I, I'm just an insect compared to what they are. And if I leave them, the consequences could mean my own death. That's an abusive relationship. Well, what you have is then people in the faith who speak supposedly on the surface in the language of love, but they are speaking to you with sort of abusive language. My mother has tried almost every angle. She's an evangelical who's heartbroken about the apostasy of her son. And so she says, you know, I love you. I love you. I love you. We love you so much. Jesus loves you. God loves you. But then the threats will come in. You know, the, the atheist will be ashes under the feet of the believer one day. Um, you are going to hell um, those types of things, you know, you you hear those from a parent who believes they are acting in love, and you can see how broken religion has made their concept of love. Christopher Hitchens once said, "Religion poisons everything," and you know that's a pretty extreme statement, but I'm I I understand why he said it because it's tainted the relationship. It's tainted her perceptions of love and a parent-child relationship. And it's made uh, things to the point where we, we don't really speak. It's nothing that I, I take any joy in. For me, it became about boundaries. Uh, you know, we can agree, we can disagree, but we should be able to love each other. We should be able to be a mother and a child. But no one, and I'll say this to anyone listening, no one should have to sit back and listen to a parent, a sibling, a spouse say, abusive things to you. Uh, you have the right to live out beyond that. And if they don't bring positivity and goodness into your life, you have every right to draw a hard line. And I've done that in my own circle. All right. I do have a really quick question from the Facebooks. Ah, wrong spot. There we go. Um, Nancy asks, do you find yourself singing or humming the religious songs that you used to play on the oh, radio? It's so funny you'd say that. I, I hardly ever do. Hardly ever. But there's a few that I just, there's an old, there's a band called the Sweet Comfort Band. Okay. They were big in the 70s and the 80s, early 80s. Brian Duncan sang lead. And I, to this day, even though it's Christian music, when the Sweet Comfort Band comes on, I just crank it. I just crank it all the time. It just takes me back. It, it is a snapshot of a very positive moment in my life. 
most, I don't listen to a lot of music radio. I, I certainly don't listen to Christian radio it, because I can't get past the reality that number one, these days it's money and marketing. It is money and it is marketing. And you can tell by, by the big record labels who went in and swooped up all the boutique labels in the 90s because they know it's big money. These airbrushed artists who I've seen them behind the scenes, trust me, what you see is not what you're getting. And uh, I also know that what they're saying is not true. And truth matters. So I, my musical tastes usually lie elsewhere. All right. And then I have one from Ash, and sh they're asking, um, if you remember a writer to his podcast a few years ago from a young woman named Ashley, who is struggling with family understanding her atheism. Uh, well, I received thousands of emails. Let me go through my mental Rolodex on that. All right. Well, actually, we do have a break, so that will be a perfect time for you to do that. Okay. We'll return with Joseph and Seth right after. Please stay with us. Thank you for tuning in to Atheist Talk on AM 950 KTNF. I'm your host, Hertzy Hertz, and I would have... And we're having what I would classify as a fascinating conversation with Joseph and Seth. If you'd like to get involved in the conversation this morning, you can call us at 952-946-6205, email us at radio at tweet us with the hashtag AskSeth, or visit our Facebook page where we have a post going. Before we continue the conversation, there is a tiny bit of housekeeping I need to attend to. I want to note a group of dedicated volunteers and the generous donations of you, our listeners. You help keep Atheist Talk on the air and in podcast form. I'd like to note our donors of the week, which is August and Cynthia. Thank you so much. And if you want to help with the donation, please consider doing so at our Radio Fund page or at our Patreon, where you can get extended interviews, like the one we'll be having where I will be Barbara Walters and Grill Seth. <laughs> Make me cry, yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> well, you, yeah, I was going to say, between the, in the break, you mentioned Star Trek. This might turn into a conversation. Um, or you can get our Patreon at www.patreon.com slash Atheist Talk. Minnesota Atheist is a 501c3 tax-deductible organization, and we couldn't do the show without you. And we deeply appreciate your support. Music for Atheist Talk is by composer and member Men Brent Michael Davis and is used with permission. Please note all opinions are of the guest and host only and do not necessarily reflect those of the Minnesota Atheist Organization. Now with that get out of the way, let's get back to our conversation with Joseph and Seth. I want to say as well, uh, before the break, uh, that Ashley had sent a, a kind message uh, of, of greeting, and I just want to say, hi, Ashley, thanks for listening, and, and thanks for the support. She just wanted to sort of wave from the other side of the radio, and so you're greatly appreciated. All right. And actually, we have another comment uh, from Matthew. He's asking is, was there a specific instance that occurred that started you doubting your Christianity, which started you down the path to atheism? Yeah, it's a common question. There were a, a few major ones. I wrote about this in my uh, autobiography called Deconverted. Um, but, you know, I was a radio host in 97 when the death of an artist named Rich Mullins he was horribly killed in a car wreck, and it was charged to me and my co-host to go on the radio and you know, say the platitudes that religious people say. You know, he's in a better place where there's no pain. One day we'll all be reunited. And I remember how false it rang. Uh, my best friend had come out to me as gay in the 90s. And, of course, being a fundamentalist, I'm thinking, you know, whoa, this, he's going to go to hell. And, 
and we disconnected for a long time before uh, we finally had, I realized my life was better with him in it. Well, I had to ra- I to take the part of the Bible that dealt with homosexuals with you know death, and I had to sort of remove that from my table and say, well, I'm not going to I don't hold to that. Well, now I'm actually cherry picking cafeteria planning my religion, right? Well, this is what people do. 9/11 was a big one for me. Everybody was talking about God, invoking God, warning about God's wrath, asking for God's protection. But I just saw action, reaction. You know, the terrorists were invoking God. Um, and after that, I just kind of went dormant. I just kind of uh, phoned it in. I was a video producer serving churches. So I felt like I get to do ministry, but I don't really have to do anything. Like, this is my job. I was good at it. Um, but that, probably those three things were the biggest ones and about a thousand tiny things. And I think there's something about midlife. You know, you just get tired of apologizing for asking questions. You're like, you know what? Life's too short. How come I'm sitting around here trying to keep you comfortable? I'm, I'm going to figure this out. And, you know, when you give yourself permission to start doing that, it's a game. I mean, you, you see the whole world differently. And that's what happened to me. All right, Joseph, I see you scribbling furiously. <laughs> Thank you, Hertzie. Seth, I've been a member of Minnesota Atheists ever since I moved to Minnesota and became aware of uh, the organization's existence. And my icebreaker question to folks whenever I meet new members is always, how did you figure it out? And because of that, I've collected hundreds of stories. And those coming out stories are, well, they're all the same and they're all different. They all follow certain patterns. And this has caused me to think about what is the best strategy to help people onto science and reason? Do you have an opinion on this? Is there a best strategy to helping people out of religion and onto the path of evidence? I don't think there's a magic bullet. Um, when I first came out of the, the faith, though, I attempted, I, I had this naive thought. I thought, I've, am, I've amassed so much information that I never knew existed. And there are things in the Bible that even though I knew my Bible, I thought, I, I never knew this was here. And the, the overwhelming evidence for things like evolution and, and the singularity which kicked the universe and blah, blah, blah. I, and as soon as I bring this information to my religious family and friends, they will see the light. They will now be so excited to find this new information. And they will say, wow, how did we not know about this? And we will all hold hands together and we will sing songs and there will be light and bliss and harp. None of that happened. And it's because their desire to believe was and remains greater than their desire to know. I'm I'm convinced. Uh, And there are a myriad of reasons why people believe. And so I don't think there's a magic bullet for uh, changing someone's mind. Honestly, if someone's desire to believe is simply greater than their desire to know, I don't waste a whole lot of time on them in the the one-on-ones. Uh, how I do like to, though, however, live a loud, proud, secular life in full view of people because you never know who's doubting, who's going through the same kind of journey I went on in the, in the 90s. If I do engage, I hate the idea of us starting with religious people are stupid. That is one of the worst, most nonsensical. It's, it's intellectually dishonest. You know, I wasn't an idiot. Matt Dillahunty was not an idiot when he was tr- training to become a Baptist minister. He wasn't stupid. His IQ did not change. My IQ did not change. I was a victim of bad ideas. 
um, all religious people are awful or racist or this or that. I'm sorry. That's just, it's crazy. You can't back that up and it diminishes your own position. You're less than me. I'm superior to you. That's not. Do we want to lead with those questions? Why don't we make it about the ideas? And I really like to use the Socratic method when it comes to many of the people who hold a religious belief have never in their they're surrounded by reinforcement. They have never in their life been asked to meet a burden of proof. So to say, well, how did you get there? How can you prove that or defend that? Oh, it's on faith? Well, what about the Islamist who says that they have 100% faith or the, you know, the Hindu or whoever? And you, get, you leave, make sure that the burden of proof is on them, leading with compassion and empathy and respect, leading with questions. And you can see literally smoke start to come out of the top of their head. Just, it just it, for many of them, and they'll get frustrated, but they, they feel less attacked. And then they go off into their homes and lives, and they're kind of chewing on this, and the seeds of doubt are planted. You know, in the faith, doubt is, is a sin. But I see doubt as a tool. If somebody comes to my home and says, look, here's a spray bottle, and this will, if you, or here's a bottle of something, if you drink this, you'll be 10 years younger. I, I doubt that, and that doubt protects me from being scammed. Doubt is actually a useful tool for us, and we should try to, whenever we can, instill the seeds of doubt so people will vet what they believe. Hmm. Let's say you're a kid in a small town in America, and your parents are religious, but you were born with that science gene turned on, and you start to reach the age when you question your religious beliefs. You start thinking, well, these might be... Oh, a little bit crazy. But you're surrounded with this reinforcement of these beliefs. What advice do you have for that young person? And what resources can we offer them? Wow. I hear a lot from teenagers. And they're in that weird position where many of them, I mean, they're, they're obviously not independent. They don't have a job. They're not old enough to stand on their own two feet. But they have, they got to the rejection of superstition and magical thinking long before I did. Like, I'm the idiot who took 30 years to figure out donkeys can't talk. I mean, that was me. But a lot of people get there a lot faster. But what if they find out my mother and father will kill me? They'll freak out. I've had college students write me and say, I'm a freshman in college, and I told my parents that I no longer believe. And they said, if you don't renounce this atheism nonsense, we will withdraw your college tuition. So now they're not just holding them emotionally hostage. They're holding them financially hostage. They're saying, we could affect negatively your entire future unless you line up with us, which I think is just morally bankrupt. Uh, I try to, with young people remind them that, you know, you are under the guardianship of your mother and father, and you should, whenever possible, unless you're being abused in some way, treat them with respect. But you can use this time to amass as much knowledge as you can, like make every day a discovery. So yeah, even if they're dragging you to church, even if you're at a point where you're, you're, don't have total control over your life because you are a minor, you can still be a sponge. Find out, what are they teaching at the church? What is, what's the reaction? What do, how much do people really absorb? What do they know about their own faith? What do you know about their own faith? As I said, there's also different ways you can sometimes get out of actually going to, to church. And I say this knowing my parents are listening. <laughs> Um, but like I, I helped out with Sunday school or I would volunteer in the nursery. And then lo and behold, you didn't have to listen to anything. <laughs> Go work in the AV department. You're running a camera. You're ministering with your yep. gifts, whatever. Or, or even singing. I mean, yes, you're still in that area. But, you know, you have to think about the next song. So you can just tune everything out. I honestly think, you know, I, 
people have asked me, like, someone wants to take my child to a religious church. And I'm like, you know what? Cool. And you go with them to make sure that they're not targeted. You know, we don't want to create a forbidden fruit thing where that's the other. Like, that's what religion does. We create this sort of religious homeschool pod and we say, outside world, scary, stay here. You know, let's go find out what the Christians and the Catholics think. And then after that, let's go to a Muslim mosque. And after that, let's go over here to the Hindu temple. And then let's do a basic study of all the major religions, right? If you teach a child one religion, you indoctrinate them. If you teach them all religions, you inoculate them. Let's understand what these people believe. Grandpa and grandma say I should be in church. You know what? Let's all go to grandpa and grandma's church and afterwards let's talk about it. I think that's, you know, it's not always easy. But I think not introducing a child to these belief systems and religious structures can be damaging as well. And I definitely agree with, like, go with them because I've I've heard several times about grandparents or aunts and uncles who will take a child to the church without, you know, without parental knowledge. And I'm like, you can't do that. Yeah, that's a boundary cross. That's huge. That's that's a no-go. That's and, and it's honestly it it shows it reveals to me a tremendous insecurity. I mean, if if someone would usurp a parent's authority and sneak their child off to a religious service, to me that's a huge. That to me, we're now back in the area of boundaries, and you have to tell grandpa and grandma you cannot do this. If you attempt this again, you are going to lose access to your grandchild because you are you are crossing this boundary which is not yours to cross. Oh yeah, I mean it's not like you took them to like the Renaissance Festival or. Yeah. Yeah. An amusement park. That's fine. That's yeah, fine. I hear stories. Grandkids coming and they're telling them, Mom, Dad, I don't want you to go to hell. Whoa, where did that come from? Well, when Grandpa and Grandma took me to church, I learned that you're going to hell. I mean, that's to me, is it's a form, actually, it's a form of abuse. Um, and I don't want to use that word, uh, you know, minimally or flippantly. But to to program a child to fear torment, they are now predispositioned to live a life of fear. That's a form of abusing a child. So let's say the same advice to folks uh, in this room. You grow up, you get over the trauma of the childhood, and you're now on the path of evidence and reason, and now you're an adult. What would you advise us to help other people? How can we best do that? Well, I've come to the point in my life where even though I host the thinking atheist, being an atheist, I don't want to be my defining characteristic. Like the one thing, I do not believe in God is not a worldview. It's not a philosophy. Humanism is what I want to be about. I want to be about people. Let's treat each other with, with the respect that human beings deserve. Let's go after ideas. And, you know, let's try to be humanists first. I think that's been the life mission of my own these days. All right, well, we'll return with our guests, Joseph and Seth, right after the break. Please stay with us. I'm Hertzie Hertz, and you're listening to Atheist Talk on KTNF AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Welcome back to AM 950 KTNF, the progressive voice of Minnesota. You're tuned into Atheist Talk. And I'm here in studio with Joseph and Seth Andrews for this is our final segment with Joseph and Seth. If you're curious about Minnesota Atheists, you can check out the Minnesota Atheists website. We have previous episodes. You can browse articles, book reviews, and peruse the calendar of upcoming events. You can also sign up for the Atheist Weekly email, which will give you links to upcoming events. We have a ton of activities all around the Twin Cities and the outlying suburbs. For example, today at 11 o'clock, we will be at Cucumbers with special guest Seth 
and at 2.30, he'll be giving a talk at the Minsky Theater in Northeast Minneapolis. If you enjoy this show and all that Minnesota Atheists has to offer, consider becoming a member of Minnesota Atheists while you're on the website. Membership has some great perks. Check out the hows, whys on the website. And now back to our conversation with Joseph and Seth. Unless we get 50 new members during this, they're holding my dogs hostage. I fear I will never see them again. They're Join. Cute. They're cute dogs. They really are. They're, I mean, you know. I have become such a pushover. For, for those who aren't aware, I have two little three and a half pound dogs, Henry and Rat Dog. Her name is Tootsie, but I call her Rat Dog. And I have turned into that little old lady with the seven chihuahuas. Because when I see them, I'm like, oh, Boopsie, I love you. Come here. Come here. And I just turn into a babbling idiot. And everywhere I go when, I, when I'm traveling, I, I, Natalie, send me photographs of the dogs. Let me know they're okay. I'm so dramatic about it, you know. So. I, on the other hand, look at my, I have two, cat, I have two black cats. Oh, yeah. And I have the Luna, who's my princess cupcake, who I, I go googly. And then there's Grim, who's kind of a jerk. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But he's the cuddly one, which is the fascinating part. You know, I, I'm an animal person, always have been, so. All right. Well, Joseph, I saw you scribbling furiously again. What do you got? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Hertzi. Seth, you know, like a lot of folks in the free thought community who grew up in a religion, um, I want to help other people who have doubts and maybe want to turn towards the side of evidence and reason. But I'm not certain if in my entire life I've actually done that. Maybe I have, maybe I haven't. Um, have you had uh, some some feedback from folks that uh, do they say, you know, you really helped me, the the Thinking Atheist, the podcast has really helped me. Um, anything that sticks in your mind? Yeah, it just happened recently. We hit our 400th broadcast, and I'd been going through kind of a... I mean, it's it, you know, being an activist is hard. I'm sure you know what it's like, because you're always activisting. Even when you're not, you know, out there on the front lines, you are... You know, you're you're thinking about these things, and you're working on the next thing, and you you really you become weary from all, of, especially in the Twitterverse of all the brutality, that the infighting, the nastiness, the recreational conflict, and all those types of things. And and I I was in kind of a valley. I was thinking, you know, is it time to hang it up? You know, do we finish on top? Do we call it a day? Is there anything new left to say? Does it really matter? And I got an email from a couple in Canada. And their names were Catherine and Sheldon, and they had sent me a letter. They were both pastors or had been pastors, and they were going through a time of like Dan Barker did where they were just like, look, this doesn't make any sense. We'd, we'd never really even challenged this faith. We'd... So once they started to actually look at it, they realized, oh, wait a minute, we, we're mistaken. This, is, this stuff doesn't hold water. And they stumbled upon some of the content from the Thinking Atheist. And it was like their sort of oasis in the desert. Like it, they, it, it, it helped them to realize that they're not crazy for having these thoughts. And so they sent me this message. And I was so moved by it, I brought them on and made them part of the 400th broadcast as they told their story. And there were a couple times I literally felt myself almost choking up because I thought, you know, these are people who at midlife made a huge course change. It's not, you know, no one, cho- you don't choose to, to reject all that you once knew and held as fact. You don't choose to have your family ostracize you. You don't choose to be labeled less trustworthy than a rapist in the United States of America. You don't choose these things, but you have to be honest about, or you should be honest about where you're at. And, uh, you know, those types of stories are the fuel for my engine. They really, they really keep me going, you know, and honestly, it, 
there are some people who think to be an activist, you have to be at the front of the parade or you have to be on stage or I must have a podcast or I must do this. If you are living a loud, proud, secular life in front of anybody, you know, you've got a, a humanist coffee mug at the office or if you just tell somebody, you know, we don't do church around here, we're, we're humanists. If you're just naturally living your life, a secular life on your terms, you are affecting the perception to the people around you. And in that way, you are affecting positive change. You're helping to change perceptions about what non-belief is and what non-believers are. You are an activist and you're making a difference. So I, I honestly think people put too much pressure on themselves. They should start just in, in their own front yard. You know? Oh, yeah. Well, I was going to say there's also plenty of support roles and such. For example, um, I'm an accountant. And so one of the things that I keep telling myself is I should contact a couple of the places and be like, hey, do you need somebody to do data entry for an hour or two? Play to your gifts, right? Yep. You don't have, you know, you don't have to be on the air. I, the heck, half the reason I took this is because the job was open and they needed someone to fill the shoes. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm thankful you did. I'm thankful to be here. But uh, people will often say, well, what can I do? I can't speak in public. And I'm, I'm like, well, you're an artist. You know, use your art. You're, oh, yes. a, you're a writer. Use your writing. You're a, a creator. You're a mover shaker. You are an organizer. If you know Excel, everybody wants you. <laughs> yeah. Find out what you're good at, where your gifts are, what brings you joy, and start there. And uh, that's, a, that's usually the advice I give. Well, you've made a huge course change in your life yeah. uh, since that time. What have been the losses and the gains? And maybe what were some of the unexpected losses and the unexpected gains? I've gained a lot more than I've lost. You know, my relationship with my family is not good. Um, so that's kind of a, a casualty. But it, 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 I've gained a knowledge about the criteria for acceptance, right? Because I would, I normally would think that you can love people over your disagreements and you can accept them and respect them. And I've come to a point in my life when, you know, you, you know, if a friend leaves you because of a disagreement about God, that's not friendship. They wanted validation. They want someone who will aff affirm them and validate them. A, a friend is someone who will be there, there with you despite your disagreements and they still see you in flesh and blood as three-dimensional human beings. And, and so while I lost a few friends and I've lost the connection I have with my mother and father, I've gained family all over the world. I've, I've never been more comfortable in my own skin. I get to make every day a discovery. I get to see people for who they are. And, uh, you know, it's, I, I'm, I, I'm, I'm sort of struck. Like if you'd gone back 20 years and told me that I would be sitting here in Minnesota talking to you in criticism of a faith that I once held as absolute fact, and I would be happier in my life than I had ever been, I'd be like, what are you smoking and where do I get some? Like, that's crazy. There's no way. And yet that's what's happened. And I'm struck every day by the privilege and honor of being able to have these conversations about belief, about the rejection of superstitious thinking, about embracing the human condition, and about helping each other because we don't believe in answers from on high. Well, th well, thank you very much, Seth. It's been absolutely wonderful talking to you and in a way a bit discouraging because I cannot help but compare myself to you and stop. find myself somewhat inadequate. Oh, stop. Nope, nope. Joseph, you're on live radio. Come on. The man is a legend and a hero. And uh, I'll do your movie trailer, okay? You and I Ooh. will collaborate. <laughs> I was gonna say, I've got a YouTube channel. We can talk about that later. <laughs> in a world. No, I'm done. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> well, thank you for tuning in to Atheist Talk. We'd love for you first to join us next Sunday, which should be another exciting episode. 
Um, I'm proud to be on the air with Minnesota Atheists, and I hope that you enjoyed the show. It depends on the generous support of our members and sponsors and donors. And please, please, please consider supporting us through the donation link or our Patreon. Thank you so much. Have a great weekend. Thanks again. Thanks again.